On this week's episode, we head to Panama, because you know if it's World Cup qualifying, this must be an important episode. This is the world of CONCACAF. Welcome to the World of CONCACAF podcast. I'm Eric Schmitz. I'm Jonathan Slate. And I'm Donald Wine. And I hope I didn't get you to turn off with that terrible joke off the bat. But we're here to talk about World Cup qualifying, talk about CONCACAF, um, and talk about Panama, which will be our laser focus. But we're going to roll right into it, get right into scoreboard watch. Um, it's World Cup qualifying. Really important games going on the October window. We had our three match days. Um, Jonathan, why don't you start us off with match day four, and we'll kind of go through the games and everything that happened. Yeah, so I'll, I'll read match day four. We'll go through the games, and then we'll talk about the match day and then move on uh, to match day five. So match day four, so we had the United States in a 2-0 win over Jamaica uh, in, in Austin. Honduras was a 0-0 draw against Costa Rica. Mexico played Canada to a 1-1 draw at the Azteca, and then El Salvador with a 1-0 win uh, over Panama. Now, Donald, is there anything that sticks out to you as a shock result or a big big uh, win or draw or loss or what have you here? Well, I think for American fans, this was the match day, right? Because everything came up United States from the U.S. beating Jamaica uh, with two goals by Ricardo Pepe uh, to all the other results going their way at the end of this match day. If we look back, the United States was in first place uh, over in, in the table. So if you're an American fan after this match day, you were you were riding high because this was exactly what everyone wanted. And for Mexico, I think drawing is the is the one thing that probably they were probably it's probably the biggest shock there uh but i think when it comes to that we find that they kind of were really really slow when it came to everything and so for me i think the united states winning and having all the results go the way that was the biggest part of this result but i think mexico drawing had a lot of people going hmm interesting yeah i mean for me like the real winner of this match day is canada because now, like, you look at what theoretically are their two hardest away games at the U.S. was back in September at Mexico right here. They got two points out of their two toughest games. Yeah, and, and they, became, they became the first team in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying in the final round to get a draw on, like, to get a result against both Mexico and the U.S. in their, in the, in their corresponding home stadium. So, I mean, we talked about you know, going into this, Canada having to step up and, you know, being able to go to to the U.S. and to Mexico and come out with, with a result is huge for them. Yeah, I mean, it really puts them in a great position to qualify even through four match days. Um, 
Mexico, I mean, drop points at home is never good. But if you're a U.S. fan, you look at that, it's like, okay, well, Mexico couldn't even get a win off these guys at home. Maybe that result in September isn't that terrible. I don't know. Donald, does that really change your thinking looking back at September? Not really. I mean, for, for me, I always look at the windows as windows. I don't look at individual games. So while I was riding high after this match day, I also was like, we still have a lot of games to play. And so I think, honestly, for me, I think that's how everyone should approach it. Looking at windows for what they are, taking the windows as a full result. Because again, we saw last in September, after the first two matches, people were kind of saying, oh, the United States are kind of down. Like, what is going on? And then they beat Honduras. And everyone goes, oh, they're in second place. They're doing just fine. We saw this exact, exact same result, as, as we'll see, uh, from several teams when it came to this window in particular. So uh, you can say you're riding high or riding low after one or two matches, but if you look at the whole window, I think they were doing just fine. And El Salvador getting their first win of qual of this round of qualifying, uh, getting goal off Eric Hernandez uh, to get that 1-0 result over Panama. Honduras, Costa Rica, nil-nil draw. I'd say Costa Rica won that point because looking at some of the saves that Keeler Navas made in that match to keep it 0-0, um, being able to pull a point out of an away game is a big result for Lamb. And then, yeah, the U.S. Uh, getting business done uh, on those two goals from Ricardo Pepe may be the most assured performance out of the U.S. so far in qualifying. Um, so that wraps up match day number four. Jonathan, you want to walk us through the results in match day number five? Yeah, so match day number five, Jamaica with a 0-0 draw against Canada. Costa Rica with a 2-1 win at home to El Salvador. Um, we'll talk about the Panama game uh, later on. And then Mexico with a 3-0 win over Honduras. Donald, you got any thoughts here? Uh, the biggest thought for me personally is the number zero. That is the number of people who attended that Jamaica match. Again, uh, not having fans due to COVID, uh, it seems to be something that they have not resolved down there. And while the Federation petitioned the government to have fans in this match, citing the importance of having fans to kind of get behind the team and get some energy in the office, that was not meant to be as the government rejected that request, or at least failed to hear it in time or whatever it was, but there were no fans there. So that really, uh, that really changes the game for Jamaica. We all thought that Jamaica was going to be a team that could, that could be a team that could be in the thick of things. They've really struggled because they have not been able to have that home support. Yeah. And I mean, for Canada coming off that draw against Mexico, like you're going to go into the Azteca and get a point, And then you go into the office with no fans in the building and you still only get a point off maybe the worst performing team in CONCACAF in this first part of qualifying. Uh, it's a pretty disappointing result for the Canadians. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's that's the big thing. And then, of course, Mexico, you know, bouncing back and with a 3-0 win on Honduras. Um, you know, they, I think they have done, which we'll, we'll talk about when we get back to get into the next round. Uh, but yeah, Mexico seems to you know be back on track with with that win over Honduras. Yeah, and then the other result before we get to the Panama U.S. game, uh, Costa Rica two, El Salvador one. El Salvador actually jumping out to a one zero lead on the road at Estadio Nacional. 
Costa Rica bouncing back and getting that 2-1 result to almost keep them in it. If they lose that game, you can almost write off the Ticos this early in qualifying. Yeah, that's a big result for them. Um, and really just how they did it, like you said, coming from behind. I know it's at home and they want to win all those games at home. Uh, but El Salvador, is a, as we've seen, is a very scrappy bunch. They may not win a lot of games, but they're going to be in the, you know, right there at the end for a lot of these games. And for Costa Rica to, to come from behind, take the lead, and then hold on for that lead, that, that's a big result for them. Yeah, so Costa Rica hanging tough already after that result. Uh, the next result in the match day that we didn't quite discuss, uh, Panama won. United States zero at Estadio Romel Fernandez in Panama City. Anmal Godoy with the goal. We're going to talk a little bit about this game in a bit, but Panama getting this huge, huge result. We're going to use this to segue into our CONCACAF laser focus for the week, where we're going to talk about Panama and tell you more about this country uh, as Donald and I uh, visited that. Uh, so we'll be right back. This week's CONCACAF laser focus is the nation of Panama, the first co- transcontinental country that we'll be focusing on here in the world of CONCACAF because it's the only transcontinental country in the world of CONCACAF. Uh, of course, Panama is an isthmus that connects Central America and South America, uh, bordered by Costa Rica to the west, uh, Colombia to the southeast, and sandwiched between the Caribbean Sea to the north and the Pacific Ocean to the south. Uh, Nice little strip of land. Um, Spanish colonists arrived in the country in the 16th century, uh, and it became part of the Republic of Colombia. And then with U.S. backing, they actually seceded from Colombia in 1903. The reason the U.S. was backing their secession from Colombia was something you may have heard of it's called the panama canal now just a brief history lesson back in the day if you wanted to ship around the world if you were coming from the atlantic to the pacific or the pacific to the atlantic you had like two options you had cape horn around the bottom of south america and you had going through the arctic through the bering strait not exactly a smooth transition from one ocean to the other so for years, decades, people were like, you know what? We should probably just like drill a hole right through the middle so we can get our ships from one place to the other. So starting with Britain in the 1840s, talking about it, the French tried doing it in the 1880s. Uh, in the late 1890s, early 1900s, the U.S. was like, yo, we'll, we'll build this canal for you. So they were negotiating with Colombia about getting access to the land. Colombia decided we don't necessarily want to do this. They didn't approve it. So U.S. is like, all right, Panama, you guys want to secede? We got you. So with U.S. assistance, Panama declared independence on November 3rd, 1903. Three days later, Panama signed a deal with the U.S. for the U.S. to build a canal through the land. So it took a matter of three days to sign on the dotted line to get this canal project going. So France had tried doing it in the 1880s. The U.S. was able to take some of the work they had done, 
I mean, France was trying hard. Like they had millions of dollars in equipment. 22,000 people died on this French attempt to build the Panama Canal. And the U.S. comes in. They take about 10 years and they get it done. They dig the ditch. And all of a sudden, the Atlantic and the Pacific are connected right here in Central America. Uh, the U.S. had signed the deal to build the canal with like the idea that they would also control it. So as part of it, they had a deal to have, for the U.S. to have rights to the canal zone until 1999 when it was turned over to Panama. So there was a lot of American involvement in the area. So going back to the Spanish settlers, now you have this U.S. involvement. It's a very diverse, very unique population and culture in this area of Panama. Um, with this canal, it became a huge hub of shipping and commerce, and it really kick-started the capital city of Panama, uh, Panama City, which is near the Pacific end of the canal. Um, kind of the Central American hub of banking and commerce. Uh, Panama City dates back to the 1500s. Uh, Panama Viejo, the remains are still there. That's like the old, old city that was settled in 1519. Um, Panama City also features Casco Viejo, which is another old town area uh, that was settled in 1671. Um, but it's a very advanced very cosmopolitan culture for central america um if you're an american they use u.s currency the remnants of u.s occupation of the area are seen a lot of chains a lot of people speak in english even though spanish is the most uh dominant but as part of u.s occupation the big sport there is baseball funny enough um, they've had some famous Panamanian baseball players, but more importantly for us is football soccer, as you may call it is big and developing in Panama. So Jonathan, can you tell us more about the soccer in Panama? Yeah. So, so football in Panama has, you know, first came around in 1862, you know, first time being played there. Um, in the on the club side so it's broken down into um there are four divisions so you have uh liga panama panamena de football which is the top division nacional de ascenso which is the second division there's 11 clubs and then uh as you get further down the copa Rom romel fernandez which is 19 clubs divided into three kind of series um so there's you know in those three groups there's an eight a six and a five um, and then there's some regional leagues in, in the fourth division. Um, they've had a lot more success recently. Um, on the club side, you may recognize teams um, such as Taro um, FC, who's you know had some success in, in CONCACAF Champions League, um, and Herrera FC as well. Um, we'll dive into afterwards. We're going to dive in a little bit to the um, national team side, but first... Um, Donald's going to talk a little about women's national team in the history. Yeah. So the women's team is called Las Canaleras, which is the canal girls. 
uh, which is very appropriate for this uh, for Panama. Also, that it will we'll also know mm-hmm. that the uh, Los Canaleros is the men's national team, which we will talk about in just a second. But for the women's team, they're ranked 59th in the world, just a few spots short right now of their all-time best ranking of 53, which they had just a couple of years ago. And the lowest ranking they've had was 140 back in December of 2015. So really in the span of a few years, they've really, as Jonathan said, have pumped a lot of resources into the programs here, and they have accelerated uh, their growth uh, with regards to the women's team. Their first match was only in 2002, which again is a trend that we've seen with amongst some of these women's national team programs is that they just started just, you know, less than a couple of decades ago and really haven't gotten a lot of footing, but for Panama, they are steadily improving. They have never qualified for the women's world cup, but the closest they did get was in 2019. They got in fourth place in the 2018 CONCACAF women's championship, which qualifies women for the women's world cup. They finished fourth in 2018 in the CONCACAF women's championship, which qualifies the women's national teams for the world cup but it did give them a chance to play argentina in the interconfederation playoff which they did argentina eventually won that playoff and they got the final spot in the 2019 world cup so even though they were close and they didn't get it they are one of the up-and-coming teams in Concacaf, and if they continue to put the resources towards that effort i think we will likely see panama in a women's world cup sooner rather than later Nice. Jonathan, you want to touch on the men's team? Yeah. Los Canaleros? Yeah, Los Canaleros or La Marea Roja, which is the red tide. Um, so they first played their first international in 1938, currently ranked 68th in the world. Um, and then their highest has actually been 29th in 2014. Um, you know, like like with the women's team, there there's really kind of been a bit of a resurgence um, and like of success with this team. Um, now that's to say that probably a lot of the players that you would most recognize are going to be some, some older players, but they've qualified for one world cup. So they, uh, in 2018, um, that was the first and only world cup that they have made. Um, and then their best results in the gold cup is, uh, they finished as runners up in both, uh, 2005 and 2013. Um, some players that, you know, the makeup of their team, a lot of guys playing, uh, in the Spanish divisions, so Spanish first and second division, um, some uh, not a ton of of the local or the uh, you know in the national league, um, but kind of spread out throughout Central America. There's guys kind of kind of all over the place, but um, their current goal leader or you know all time goal leader is um, Luis Tejada, uh, most cat with 43 goals. Gabriel Gomez. It's their most cap player at 149th. Um, some other guys that you know you may recognize um, the ever thorn in the side of Blas Perez, um, Roman Torres, um, Armando Cooper. Um, there is a, a list of guys that that maybe aren't playing as much um, that I think that m- most U.S. Fan, or longtime uh, Concacaf fans uh, will recognize. Now their stadium. Uh, Estadio Romel Fernandez. Um, you may be familiar hearing the name. Uh, Romel Fernandez was a national team player, um, star. He actually was one of the first players to get over to Europe and have some success. Uh, he had spent time at Tenerife at Valencia, and he died in a car accident in 1993 at age 27. Since then, his impact 
he you'll see his name come up when it comes to Panamanian soccer a lot. Uh, his legacy is still there. Um, so that's kind of the soccer stuff with Panama. Let's talk about the country and the culture. Donald, you've been there. I've been there. Um, what is your experience in Panama been like? So it's like Miami. If any of you have been in Miami, it is that kind of city. Lots of skyscrapers, very cosmopolitan, very metropolitan. Uh, a lot of clubs in, in Panama. The, but you also have mm-hmm. that history outside. You have the suburbs uh, where you have a lot of history. You have the Panama Canal, which is just a short drive away from Panama City. You have all of that. So it's, it's incredible where if you were interested in seeing Panama or seeing a country that's outside that kind of feels like home, Panama is great. And you will see a lot of expats make their way down to Panama to live after they retire, because it's like, again, it's like being in Miami temperate weather when it comes to similar weather, when it comes to Miami, but also a lot cheaper than it is in Miami. And I can, I can say for one, that is much cheaper (laughs) in Panama city than it is in Miami for some of the things that you can do there. Yeah, no, I mean, the city itself, very sky, like you said, skyscrapers everywhere. Um, a lot of nice restaurants, nice hotels. Um, all the chain restaurants you could ever imagine are down there. Um, some really cool areas to explore. Casco Viejo, the old town, really sweet place. Uh, there's a rum bar in that area called Pedro Mandinga Rum Bar. I've we went there when I was down there in 2017. Went there when we were down there last week. My one of my favorite spots in Concacaf. Uh, just a really cool place. Great vibe. Highly recommend. Um, Donald, have you had any interesting experiences being in Panama? Oh yes, yes I have. <laughs> uh, so everyone, strap in for probably the wildest story you'll ever hear on this podcast. Um, so literally, strap goes, in. This, uh, yeah, literally, buckle it's your seatbelts. So this goes back to 2015. I was in Costa Rica for uh, DC United playing Alajuelense in Champions League. And coming back, I had a nine-hour layover in Panama. And I'd never been there before. So I said, yo, why do that versus a nine-hour layover in Houston? I'll just go to Panama, explore a little bit, call a little day trip, and go back home. Or so I thought. Mm -hmm. So I land (laughs) at like eight in the morning, drop my bags off in a locker. And I was going to catch a cab. This is before Ubers, ladies and gentlemen. So there's just cabs where you have to kind of negotiate your price. So there's this guy standing there and he doesn't look like a cab driver, but he's standing behind the cab stand place. So I'm like, how much to go to Casco Viejo or the, or the locks, which is the Panama Canal. And he goes, Oh, it's about 40, $40. And I was like, it's not $40. It's like $20. So I go to another guy. And this guy, you know, is dressed like he's supposed to be a taxi cab driver. And I go, how much to Casco Viejo? And he goes, oh, it's 25. And I was like, ah, it's a little much, but okay, let, let's go. We're, 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 in the, we're in the money. We're the ballpark. So this guy, he walks outside and there's a row of cabs, yellow cabs. And he starts, you know, picking, you know, t- tapping his pockets, like similar to what you would do if you're trying to remember where you put your keys. And so I'm like, okay, he's looking for his keys. So he goes, mind you, all this is in Spanish. I I know enough Spanish to get by. This is the reason why this story is incredible, because all of this to a point is in just Spanish. 
he goes, uh-huh. my cab is broken, but I have my car and I will take you in my personal car if that's cool. Now, for those of you who are saying that's a trap, in 2014 <laughs> during the World Cup, we actually had this happen where a cab driver, his cab literally broke down with us in it and he took us in his personal car. There was a huge sombrero in the back seat, the size of the back seat. We got out fine. He took, he took us four hours home. So I said, sketchy cab part two. Here we go. So we get in the car and we're going. Now, the first instinct in my mind that something bad is about to happen is we're going down the highway, which, as Eric knows, is a toll road. And there's toll plazas every yeah. you know few miles. The first one, it's one of those things where a gate comes up and you kind of tap, you know, tap a thing. A, a gate comes down and you tap a thing and the gate pops up. You go through. So a car was doing that and he just blew past the gate. 90 miles an hour, tailgated behind another car through their gate and went through. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's odd, but whatever. We get to the second one. He does the same thing. And now I'm like, okay, homeboy is trying to like take all of this $25 I'm supposed to give him. Like, okay, if, as, long as, as long as I'm safe getting there, whatever. So we get to the third one, which is right on the edge of downtown. Huge plaza, like 17 tolls. He tries to do it again, but the gate closes on him. So now he's like, well, shit, what do I do? So he backs up. <laughs> Mind you, this is an expressway, multiple lanes. Yeah. Backs up. Yeah. Sees a car going in the lane next to him. He tries to dip into that one. That one closes. He is, oh shit. Backs up, does it again, like two lanes over, skirts across two lanes traffic, does it again. Gate closes again. Now, then he goes <laughs> back to the first one and it, the gate closes a fourth time. Now, at this point, all of these. Op, all of these toll booths are operated by people. And so one of them mm-hmm. is like, what is this car doing? So he pops out and he comes up to the window and he's, he's starting to walk up to the gate. He knocks on the hood like, hey, what, like, what are you doing? And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why I say you should strap in. Because <laughs> instead of rolling down his window and asking for directions or saying like, hey, you know, I, I don't have any, I don't have any cash. I am literally about to offer like, yo man, just here's five bucks. Let's just go. Instead of all that, my man hits the gas and runs into the toll booth operator with his car. Now we're, now we're in some shit. So he backs up and the toll booth operator goes, yo, you hit me with your car. Get out of the car. Man hits him again. So this is number two. So then he backs up again all the way out of the lane and tries to go down another lane. And the guy kind of jumps off. Mind the way, this, this dude is Teflon. This dude's resilient. He's got hit by a car twice and still, still rolling. He jumps across the lanes of traffic to get in front of the car. And he, gets, and he basically stands right in front of the hood and says, get out of the car. The guy hits the, the, the toll booth operator a third time. But this time, he takes him to the left and goes in a little spin wheel and we start driving back down the way we came into oncoming traffic on an expressway with a toll booth operator hanging from the hood. The dude falls <laughs> off the hood. He backs up. He tries to turn again, hits my man again. But this time, it is the one, one of the deafest moves I've ever seen in my life. He gets the, the guy hits, gets hit with the car. He flips up lands on the ground next to the driver's side window, which happens to be down. He then jumps 
in one felt swoop into the car through the window and starts beating the shit out of the driver while the driver is trying to outrun him by driving into oncoming traffic. I'm still in the back seat. I'm screaming, what the hell is going on? What are you doing? Stop the car. All this shit, right? Mind you, again, all this is in Spanish. So finally, while they're tussling, the tow booth operator is able to yank the emergency brake to stop the car. At this point, now we have a scene. Now all the tow booth operators, they, they come ride for their mans. They all come, they drag the driver out of the car, and rounds three and four take place outside the car. They're literally like, like they're just fighting while cars are just driving past us. I'm still in the backseat. So they're like, what are you doing? You hit this man four times. Like you're driving in on traffic. You're trying to, you know, go through totally. What the fuck's going on? So mind you, he goes, I'm trying to take this guy. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a taxi cab driver. And they're like, well, this is not a taxi cab. And he goes, well, yeah, well, I'm taking this guy. I, I, I paid him. So I get out of the car at this point. There is this car that pulls up that is a black sedan that's called uh, Tourism Police. So I get out of the car like, hey, yo, I'm not, I'm not with this dude. He's just trying to take me to, the, to Casco Viejo. That's it. That's all I'm trying to do. They're like, sir, you should probably stay in the car because, you know, you're on a highway. I'm like, yeah, I had noticed that when he, you know, hit this guy four times. But okay, yeah, I'll stay in the car. So finally, the actual police show up. So the police are trying to figure out what's going on, talking to the driver, talking to the... Meanwhile, the driver keeps trying to go back to the car to try and escape, and they're not letting him. So finally, a tow booth operator goes, there's a guy in the back seat. So police car, a police officer comes around. They knock on the window, and I put my hands in the air, and I open the door, and they're like, do you understand Spanish? And I was like, yes, I do. And he goes, and then in English, the guy goes, is English better? I go, yes, English is fine. So he goes, tell me what happened. I go, look, man, I was trying to take a cab. This guy said he was a cab driver. He tried, you know, he went through a bunch of toll booths. He was trying to take me to the old city. I just wanted to pay him just to go down there. He hit this guy four times. I wasn't with that shit. And he goes, okay, that's cool. Just stay in the car. As you can see, you're kind of in the middle of something, but we'll, we'll get you out of this. Like, yes, get me out of this. Extract me wherever you need me to be. <laughs> so now at this point, the driver comes around to my side. And in perfect English, with, without a hint of accent, like this man is from, I don't know, wherever in America that has no accent. He's from like lower Ohio. This man goes, hey, man, <laughs> so as you can see, you should probably get another cab. So why don't you give me the 25 bucks and then you could just go get another cab? I'm like, yeah, no, bro, you're not getting no money. So he's like, but... I you we had an agreement and I was like yes but when I ask you to do something and you don't do it you don't get paid for it I'm sitting here you, because you tried to attempt to like to attempt a murder on some dude I'm not giving you any money so then finally they like they all pull the driver away and that was the end of my conversation with him so then the cops are like okay we are going to remove you from this situation I was like remove the shit out of me let's go so they pull me in the back <laughs> of the police car and I go, am I under arrest? I go, no, no, we're just removing you. You're just, so you're fine. And so, okay, cool. We get in the car and we start rolling. Meanwhile, this guy too, I know he's not on still, like for all I knew at that point, this dude was still arguing with the cops and trying to, trying to escape this shit. But anyway, so we get to where the hard rock is and they're just going to try and get me another cab. And so the guy who speaks English hops out and there's a driver who speaks no English. So he asked me, what are you trying to do? 
I was like, look, I'm just trying to go to Costco Viejo, try to go to Panama Canal, and then go home. I'm on a nine-hour layover, of which I've wasted two because I witnessed an attempted murder. And the guy goes, is that it? I was like, yeah, that's it. So he knocks on the windshield. He's like, motions for the guy to come back. And he goes, hey, man, he just wants to go to Casco Viejo. Let's just take him. So they did. They took me to Old City. They took me on a <laughs> tour of downtown, which is why I knew where everything was uh, when we went on our trip in 2017. Took me everywhere, like show me all the buildings, all the cool shit that was there, all the places to eat. Get to Casco Viejo, drops me off in front of uh, Pedro Mandingo. Drops me off right there. And he goes, yeah. okay, so there's a cool church down the street. This is the cool rum bar. There's a brewery on the corner, on the, on, down by the uh, water. You want to take a look, walk along the water is really cool. And I go, guys, that's, that's great. Thank you so much. What, uh, like, what can I do to you know, make this right? Do you need anything from me, like any information? And they go, no. I hope this in no way, you know, jeopardizes your, your thoughts on, on how Panama can be. We hope you have a great stay and we hope you enjoy the rest of your trip. So they let me out of the car. They didn't ask me for no phone number, no information, nothing. Again, for all I know, that guy is either in jail or is, is an Uber <laughs> driver. <laughs> but my man, like literally, literally the wildest thing I've ever seen. I witnessed the guy try to run over someone four times with his car and got away at it. Like the the whole hopping from lane to lane at the toll booth, incredible. Yes, it, it's so it's just it, it's just a wild story. Like it, you wouldn't believe it if you were. I don't believe it, and I was there. Like that's how wild. It is. <laughs> that's that's a hell of an introduction to Panama. Um, so as we mentioned, Donald and I were down in Panama for the U.S. Panama match. Um, we were also with our good friend, Max Crows. Uh, so to talk about this trip, uh, we decided to have Max on. So we're going to go ahead and move on to our next segment called Let's Get a Bucket. And right after this, we're going to talk to our boy Max about Panama. With us today, uh, we're about to start our Let's Get a Bucket slash Podcast on the Road segment. And our guest today, you may have seen him in the New York Times. Uh, you may see him at U.S. Games imploring you to care more about American soccer. Uh, he is a dear friend of all of ours. Uh, Max Crows. Uh, Max, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yes, I'd like to ask everyone to please be more passionate about American soccer. That's my that's my calling card. I'm I'm glad that that's uh, found a good way to introduce myself. Yeah. And and before that, before that, this is I mean, for those of you out there, Max and all of us go way back. Max and I go way back to like 2007 uh, at the MLS Cup. But one thing that you did, I wanted I want you to talk about because it does involve a little bit of Concacaf involves the United States a little bit. Uh, your 50 states, 50 jerseys project. Tell me how that, like, what that is and, and how it's grown over the years. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, 
So back in back in the day, like going to the U.S. games, I think circa 2007, 2008, uh, a lot of players were churning through a lot of players back then. <laughs> uh, and you didn't really know who was going to stick. I will say uh, I was raised in Houston, Texas. My favorite U.S. national team player back in the day was Stuart Holden. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, injuries took Stu from us on the national team. And that was kind of like uh, always touch and go of whether or not he'd be in the lineup. And it's always a little weird to like buy a jersey of a player you're super passionate about that maybe doesn't make it or maybe only ends up with seven to ten caps for the U.S. national team. Uh, so I uh, just started deciding uh, I just lived in Alaska and moved uh, back from Alaska. So I put Alaska 49 on the back of my jersey because Alaska is the 49th state. Uh, then, you know, I made a Texas 28 being from Texas. Uh, and now I live in Helena, Montana, hotbed of American, uh, soccer right here in Helena, Montana. Uh, and I put Montana 41 because it's the 41st state. Um, and that caught on, like people started doing that. It was really cool to see. It's a great way to like get a Jersey and make sure the Jersey lasts. Also, you know, maybe you're really passionate about a player, but you're not sure they're going to be around. I love Daryl DK. We've seen zero World Cup qualifying minutes out of Daryl DK. I own a Juan Agadello Waldo jersey. <laughs> yeah, I love going to games and seeing what people got on at the game and everything, but it's it's really it's touch or go sometimes. If you're dropping, you know, 150 bucks on a on an authentic customized jersey, I I, I always kind of was of the opinion I wanted to be something I can throw on and throw on proudly uh, in the future. I shouldn't even say proudly. It's not like wearing a player that's not on the team isn't like something to be proud of. It's just kind of uh, a way that I feel like the Jersey lasts longer. Yeah. The inspiration for me wearing my Michigan 26 jerseys all the time is this 50 state 50 pro uh, Jersey project that Max started back then. Uh, Cause once he did it, I was like, Oh, that's easy. I can always rep my home state wherever I go. And then DC as well. Uh, Cause we, we both founded AODC, uh, but yes, I, I want to point that out because Max's reputation long precedes the New York times calling. He was, he was famous long before the New York times. We knew him before that. Yeah. We knew him before he was a rock star. Um, if you've been following world cup qualifying, I'm sure you've seen max. He's been getting a lot of FaceTime wearing that Montana Jersey behind the goal at all the U S home games. But max also joined us on our trip to Panama. Now, max, had you been to Panama before? No, this is my first time. It's a great time. Yeah. So, Tell me about like your impressions of Panama going in and then what you experienced like getting there. Did it live up to the expectations? I just want to like stage set for everybody that I'm like, so I'm super in the history. I'm super in the geography. I love learning a whole lot about different places. I love going places just to experience them. Uh, I don't even need to go for something. I just like going and soaking it all in. Um, that being said, when I travel with you guys and I travel for U.S. soccer games, I don't really get the best uh, cultural experience or, or up to what I'm trying to do. Uh, maybe that's uh, that's a little bit that's on my shoulders. You know, uh, I like hanging out with you guys. I like hanging out with all our American fans. I like meeting people, uh, maybe having a couple drinks, maybe just one or two. Yeah, one or two. So um you know, as far as impressions and everything went, like I was going for the game. Uh, it was great to go. It was really cool uh, seeing the city um, and experiencing uh, what is, you know, just a, a city that's a lot of fun to be in. 
uh, it seems like the type of place where if you're uh, trying to hang out and just have a good time with some friends, um, great destination to be at. Um, I look forward to going back in the future and experiencing more, if I'm being honest with you. Like, I didn't even make it to the canal. <laughs> <laughs> the canal is nice, canal, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, the canal is definitely something you want to hit. Um, now, you did get a chance to experience a little bit of Casco Viejo, like the old town area. Can you tell everyone what happened in Casco Viejo? <laughs> Well, we had a great time there to, for, for starters, but um, you know, some of the sidewalks uh, maybe have like, uh, I don't know what you would call it, maybe just a hole. That's <laughs> the right phrase for it. In them. Deep, and, um, deep holes. You know, my father-in-law always says one eye up, one eye down, and I really should listen to him more. <laughs> yeah, I just put my foot straight through what was either a hole with no cover on it or like had like a piece of plastic covering up a hole and your man went down. <laughs> I, I, I went down, tumbled a little bit halfway into the street there. Um, shout out to, uh, you know, the, the times we live in, it's really great that there's uh, antiseptic products available uh, almost everywhere you go. Was able to, uh, to patch that up uh, at the bar with uh, a little bit of antiseptic and uh, some uh, bar napkins. Uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, I had to make a trip to the grocery store the next day, get some more official stuff and patch myself up, but it could have been way worse. Well, it could have been yeah. way worse. And that's yeah. on me, you know, one eye up, one eye down is the general rule. And I wasn't following it. Yeah. No. So speaking of drinks, I do have one question. How did you find the seltzers of Panama? Oh yeah. So if you're listening to me, I, I, I'm big time seltzer person here. Um, early adopter, early adopter. <laughs> Living in Montana, I could say it's one of the few things Montana got before the rest of the country. <laughs> I, I don't know why that's the case. Maybe uh, it's great to have when you're uh, fly fishing or floating a river um, on a hot day. But uh, yeah, there weren't too many seltzers. I, I don't remember running in the too many seltzers. It was a lot of uh, a lot of mixed drinks, a lot of cocktails, a lot of make me whatever you want to uh, you want to serve. It was, uh, but but I think uh, Schmitz did we we found some at a grocery store, right? But it was. Uh, yeah, it's just fizzies. Yeah. Yeah. Fizzies. Yeah. No, I distinctly remember you coming across some Smirnoff ice uh, as well. Uh, those were available. You, always you got a couple people ice. with those. You can't find Smirnoff ice in Washington, D.C., but he seems to find them in Honduras. He found them in Panama. I don't know where he's going next, but he'll probably find them there, too. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the mixed drinks. Was there anything? Did you have any good liquors that? were native to the area. We went to a great rum bar. Uh, Eric actually, Eric led us there. Eric led us yes. to a great rum bar. I had uh, several rum uh, drinks that uh, hit the spot pretty good. I, I, I'm i going to be honest with everyone though. Probably not going to be able to give you a, a complete rundown of uh, <laughs> what I got served. You, you had a lot. You were served a lot. Okay. So, uh, to you know, we had a, we had a good time. Everybody except for me stayed safe. That's what was important. <laughs> and even, hey, even me not staying safe, that was on me. So I arrived late to this party. I missed the the usual night before gathering that we do. This was kind of the post game. And when, when, when Max and, and Eric told me about this bar, I was like, oh, this is the bar from 2017 that we went to. We found out. We stumbled upon it. We sat there for oh, like yeah. eight hours. Great times. Great, great bar. We'll talk about it. Uh, but I show up. And Max says hi to me twice. First time he says hi to me <laughs> is right when I answer the bar. The second time 
is about 15 seconds after I entered said bar. So literally the span of 15 seconds, he said hi and then forgot he had said hi to me and said hi to me again. That's when I knew that Max was probably not going to remember a lot from this bar. I'm never going to apologize for showing Donald Wine a, <laughs> enough respect. <all> right? <laughs> I love you, man. You're my, you're, you're my guy. You're my guy. But I, I knew that we were, we were in a situation where this was going to be a good night because you were, you were on one, as was most of everyone who was there. That you were not the only one who was, uh, as, as the locals say, twisted. Um, but uh, no, it was great. It was, it's a great bar. Uh, and it's just, just that area is just a really cool vibe. Um, I mean, to me and, and Max, you're not a guy that's been to Miami, but I always say that Panama city has a Miami vibe. What, like, what did you get from not just Casco Viejo, but from the rest of the city, just in like the, some of the few places that we did go outside the stadium. Oh yeah. You're never away from the water. Like, you know, any, anywhere you turn, you can normally see some water, um, and get a, get a beautiful view. Um, high rises everywhere. Like, it was really cool that we were um, we were all staying in a hotel that uh, was high rise and up at the top of it, you got an opportunity to chill at the pool um, and uh, just hang out and take a look out at everything. Bar that we had the uh, pre uh, the night before party at had a beautiful view of the bay. Um, it's also just cool, like being there. And uh, again, I didn't make it to the canal, but you see the ships out there waiting for it. It's like a reminder of like what you um, what you know about Panama is like right in front of you every single day. Um, and then the old town that we were in, definitely a nightlife spot, right? There's people out um, on the street. Uh, and, and I don't know what time things close or if they officially close there. Like when I was leaving Panama at 5 a.m. in the morning, I had to be down in the lobby to catch my shuttle to the airport. There's still people coming back like in. And that's like Monday morning, 5 a.m. They're still coming in. They're having some maybe not the most coherent conversations with the uh, dude working the lobby of the hotel. Um, I think I saw a situation where somebody forgot their room number and was incapable of communicating that. <laughs> 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 they got taken care of and everything got sorted when their, uh, when their buddy came to grab them. But uh, yeah, that city, that city seemed like uh, it's uh, it's a great place. If uh, you just want to have yourself a time with your friends. Do you have anything good to eat that you you're like, Oh, this is amazing. Guys, I love where I live. I live, uh, as I shared before, but um, is not an epicenter of taste. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of cool things here, but uh, you know, uh, we're not we're not slipping too much paprika in the food um, out here. So every meal, being from Houston, uh, you know, I grew up with uh, with a love of spice, a love of heat, a love of flavor. Um, everything I ate was awesome, but I've. <laughs> <laughs> I'm again, I'm a, I'm a grading on a slide there sometimes. Uh, so it's a, it's a little difficult. Uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like there's uh, a lot of plantains were present um, in places. Uh, it, it was like a lot of fusions also of a lot of different places. You know, Panama is an epicenter of like both South America, Central America and parts of North America. And also uh, like a big uh, Asian Chinese population there. So like, there's a lot of things that were just swirling and mixing together Um it's tough to sit down and find a place that isn't bringing you some flavor. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely no. Guy Fieri spot. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's visiting the Ron Panama city. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think we can, we can assume that he's going to the wrong Panama city. Um, well, yeah. So the city was great. Food was great. Drinks were great. Let's talk about the experience of going to that game. Uh, 
what did you think of the stadium, the environment, uh, Panama's fans? I mean, this stadium was was bringing it. Like it was, it was really, it was really cool. Um, you know, stadium is uh, like I, I, I haven't been on as many trips as you guys have to Central American um, stadiums and everything like that. I thought it was pretty cool. It was probably on par, you know, with like an older school, like college football style stadium. Um, maybe is, is, is how I'd describe it. Um, had a whole bunch of boxes though. There's tons of boxes um, where people um, have like an indoor section to view the game and then uh, a little outdoor balcony. So like kind of like you would imagine suites um, at most um, American stadiums, a lot of those, um, but the place was just, it was vibrant. Like I went to Honduras um, as well with you guys and like I, I think that at times the game in Honduras, the, the fans were a little quiet. Like there was a sense of unease. There was a, a sense of like uncertainty about maybe their team and how things were going. They knew that they weren't like, you know, bringing, bringing the, the squad that they brought in the past. Um, and they were definitely waiting to turn on their manager in Honduras, which uh, <laughs> they did as soon as, uh, as soon as the U S got that second goal, mm. Panama felt very different. Like everybody there was just like amped for this. They were bringing um, the organized support as well as just like the natural organic support. You had an organized supporter section right at the midline. Um, people doing that like South American, Eastern European, like straddling the top of the fence, you know, situation, like just going, yeah. singing songs, leading chants, waving flags. Um, and the whole place, you know, knew it's soccer also. Something would happen and um, the, the stadium would light up. It, it always had a good hum going and everybody when they were on the attack was, was into it. People were on their feet the entire game. Um, it was a great vibe, great vibe. We also like as American supporters had a, a pretty good contingent with us, you know, yeah. I, I, I travel with the American outlaws. I know um, many of you do also. And like, there was a probably good like group of like 60 to 75, like, you know, American outlaws wearing jerseys um, doing our thing. But also, like, there were a ton of um, folks that are obviously Americans or some connection um, to America that live in Panama that came and joined us. Uh, there were people that had seats in other parts of the stadium and saw that that was maybe where the Americans were. So they all came over. Uh, I, I, I welcome your estimates. I'd say there was easily upwards of 300 people there in those couple sections with us. Um, yeah, like no, more. no, I mean... I'd say it was between two and 300 and yeah, you could tell they were diplomats, business people, people who might just been around and whether they're hardcore soccer fans, like the U S was playing there and they came out to the game. They sat with us. I mean, obviously if you're an American fan in an environment like that, you want to be, um, you want to have the protection that we had. Um, we had cops and security all around us. Um, not that there were any issues with the Panamanian fans, um but being in a way supporters group like you're you're always having some level of protection um yeah and i'd say like also people were super were super friendly like everybody was pretty excited you know there wasn't a point where anybody was like looking at us uh or like you know anybody was upset that there were fans over here like everybody was super friendly and like i don't even recall uh anyone directing it like an organized cheer at us or anything, which is yeah. as everybody that's fans of soccer supporter culture know, that's that's pretty common, right? Like you sing at the uh, away supporters when they're in your stadium. Um, I don't recall that happening. Uh, and after the game also, like 
to, to your point, there was a lot of security uh, around us, but like all that evaporated after the game also. It was just yeah. everybody just got pushed out in one way and uh, everybody's just walking in between the stadium and a fence, which there wasn't a whole lot of space. And people were super friendly. They wanted to trade shirts. They wanted to trade flags. Like um, everybody was uh, everybody was pretty amped. Um, also, they got a big W on us. So like, you know, yeah. it was, uh, everyone was in a good mood. So yeah, everybody was right. ready to high five you. <laughs> yeah. We weren't necessarily in the mood to be high fived, but uh, yeah, it's a little easier walking Down out of a stadium like I that. Had, I had fun. I know we'll talk about the game at some point, but I had a good time. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's get down to it. This game. What did you take away from it? Um, first, from like a U.S. perspective, then we'll get to like the shenanigans. But like, as far as being a U.S. fan, like, how did you feel traveling all that way to see that performance? So there's two ways about it. Number one is that was a bad game. It's yeah. a bad game. Yeah. The US didn't show up. Not great. US didn't show up to play. They weren't energized. Like I I I you could throw any theory that you want to out there, but they played poorly. They also didn't look look like they were that invested in the game. They didn't look like they there was any cohesion. It was a really bad game and one of the worst performances that I've seen uh the US national team put on. Like it was it was really disgusting and it made me feel like there wasn't a chance that they were going to score. That being said, um, look, I'm a, I'm a fan. I just said earlier, I'm from Houston. I'm a fan of the Houston Astros. Like uh, people can, can say what they want, but also when the Astros were the worst team in the league for four straight years, I still went to a game every single season. I still showed up. Right. Yeah. And so like, there is some level of like, I appreciate that I was there for what was a really bad performance because like, that's a feather that's in my cap, you know, Hey, I saw them when they were at their worst and like, I can't wait to see them when they're at their best in the future. Um, also, it was just an entertaining experience and a great game to go to. That was a stadium that like was really compelling its team on the win. Um, and one that just had a vibe about it the entire time that made you soak it in and experience it. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sporting events in the United States that you can go to, like, you know, you don't need to be a, a, a fan of UT or Oklahoma to like go to that college football game and just take it in. Right. Yeah. And enjoy it. Like you don't need to be a, a fan of Ohio or Michigan to go to that matchup and take it in. I, I, I think college football, probably as far as passions go, um, more reflects international soccer than a lot of our major sports do. Um, but those types of things are like something that it's worth being there for and something worth appreciating. And that game uh, at the end of the day was that, but it was not a good, not good on field product. That being said, I, I still had fun. Yeah. Because being in the stadium, we were privy to some of the things that the viewers at home might not gotten to see. Um, halftime. I don't know who was the first one to notice it, but Pan was out here. Now, mind you, it had been raining every day that week, like buckets at like certain points of the day. And Pan was out here watering the field at halftime. Oddly enough, they were just watering one end of the field at halftime. Did you guys know, catch this too? I did. I know. I pointed it out <laughs> in the stands. I said, hey, it's odd. The, the sprinklers are on, but they're only on for the end that, the, that we're about to shoot at in the second half. And I was like, did someone see this before the game? And I think it, Eric was it you or someone next to you said, I'm pretty sure they watered the field before the game, but I don't remember them watering it on this side. And we're both pointing at the field like, uh, well, it's happening now. So watch this, watch this go down. Yeah. So like 
Tyler Adams and Brandon Anderson were coming on at halftime as subs, and they were out there warming up, and you just see the, them running through puddles. You know, it's like you wonder if what you wonder if Panama is trying to make it a little harder on the U.S. to attack. And yeah, needless to say, they they think that home field advantage is very important. It would have been like like in the NBA if you know, those guys that those guys and girls that like run out to mop up the sweat all the time. It would have been like if like that's just not happening on one end of the floor or they're pouring more sweat down on the floor. It's going to make it was, a little tougher on you. I, I got to I got to throw it. This is another one of those things where I just got to put my hands in the air and be like, that's smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I love it. Yeah. I mean, that was just the beginning. Max, do you want to tell tell everyone listening about what transpired near the end of the game after Panama had gained the lead? Oh, yeah. So there's there's a couple ways you can like think about this, right? We all watch this game. Um, and uh, look, I, I was in the stands and I did not see a team that was ready to score a goal. <laughs> yeah, um, no. I, uh, I don't mean to, don't mean to, you know, throw too many bombs here, but uh, yeah, the, uh, the through balls were like 20 yards off of everybody every single time they were, they were put down and like midfielders were backtracking instead of turning up field when they had space. Uh, it just, it, this did not seem like the U S was going to score. Um, I think Panama felt the same way. And this was like the coolest experience where this entire stadium wanted to waste the final 18 minutes of that game. There was oh, yeah. not a single person in that stadium that wasn't in on it. Didn't know what they <laughs> wanted to achieve as a collective. What uh, like we wanted to, you know, what they wanted. Um, so everyone it starts, everyone in the stadium understood the assignment, every single soul <laughs> oh, yeah. from from the from the vendors that were slinging Domino's pizza to the ball boys to the coaching staff to the the people who rushed the field, the everybody security. knew what they were supposed to do. Everybody, yeah, yeah. It was well, like it was a level of cohesion that like I wish existed at like every every sporting event I ever go to. It was it was like you know everybody just kind of put their finger on their nostril and like gave the signal that like hey this is going <laughs> to happen now, and it was. It was pretty awesome. That's that's how I interpret it. Obviously, a lot of folks got pretty bad about <laughs> everything that went down, and like you know, hey, this is uh, a little unprofessional or like not a uh, not fair. But also, like if you're on the road in Concacaf and you don't score in the first eighty minutes, like it's yeah. kind of on you. <laughs> to be fair, point, right? to be fair, a lot of what they did was very illegal and is definitely being investigated by FIFA. But we can still like you know kind of tip our hats to it and like. Y'all did that. Yeah. Like it, for those of you out there, I respect it was the like, effort. It was like the secret play in Little Big League, like that they finally <laughs> worked on all season. They finally pulled it off. That was the level <laughs> of like coordination that was that was going down with this. Yeah, I mean, uh, all right. So there's there's a couple categories we need to divide this into for full discussion. <laughs> all right, we already we already talked about the sprinklers. Great, yeah. A plus play, A plus plus play. <laughs> like there were standing water on the attacking half of the field. It was hilarious. Um, there's pitch invaders. Uh, then there's ball boy shenanigans. Uh, am I leaving anything out? Like, I mean, well, we can touch on each of those. The pitch invaders, like they clearly were not rushing to get over the fence. They were taking their time, being safe, getting down onto the track. Now, mind you, there are riot police circling the entire stadium. These riot police 
clearly were wishing these these pitch invaders well on their journey <laughs> because they did not move. These dudes were just strolling right past them, just walking on track, walking up to like the signage boards surrounding the field, and just waiting for their chance. Like, you know what? I'll wait till they get down the field here to go jump on the field. No one saw these dudes just walking up and said, you know what? We should do something about this. They waited until they were on the field before anyone moved. The great thing about it is that literally there was one point where three guys from different parts of the stadium, including like, or I'm sorry, four guys, including three that were right next to each other. They all tried to rush the field at the same time. And the riot police stopped three of them as if to say, no, no, one at a time. Let one guy get on the field. <laughs> they tackled him. Then the next guy ran on the field. They tackled him. But you have to talk about, I, I think you can't separate them because as this was happening, the ball boys were executing their part of the assignment. And I think it's important to talk about how that all made what was seven minutes worth of stoppage time become actually like 45 seconds of gameplay. I, I, I got to add on the pitch invaders here. because Yeah, it's, keep it's going, keep good. going. There were other layers of this. There were riot police there, right? And then there's a track. They had to run across the track to get to the field. So the riot police on the other side of the track, as Donald said, like the riot police, like they jump down, make eye contact, riot police, like, wouldn't even move a muscle towards them and they'd be like okay cool i got it like i'll go so they didn't even have the riot police pulling people off the field they had like the in-stadium security which like we would refer mm-hmm. to as like csc right yeah. like coming out there but they always had that person come from the most inconvenient spot <laughs> of the stadium right it was like, like the very oh, far yeah, corner coming from the other end yeah, like, 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 let's say you were to run on a baseball field on the first baseline, like they've got the like person coming from the third baseline to come get you. And then when they come get them, it's not even like a tackle. It was just like, a, oh, Yo, yeah, you got dude, me. Dude, cool. We, let's we walk can't off do the this. Field. Yeah. yeah. And they nice weren't being arrested. Off. Like it's the, not like they were being taken underneath to be arrested or anything. They were basically being thrown back into the stance. Like, I, 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 you're, you're, yeah. You remember your, your spots yeah. up here. Like, Good job. Good job. <laughs> try to get, try to get later. Back to yeah. your seat. Back to your seat. Back, yeah. Back, it, back to your seat. Good job. We'll try this again in a few minutes. Um, it was did, awesome. Yeah. I mean, before we get to the ball boys, my favorite was the pitch invader that went up to a ball boy, got a ball, and ran onto the field with the ball and went in on goal and scored on Matt Turner. <laughs> yes. Goal. Like, in the middle of play, just, like, rolled onto the field with a ball. Just like Matt just Turner's like looking park, at Matt you know? Turner's looking like what 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 is this? What is going on here? Like, <laughs> it, it just if you're looking like I could see like I at the at the time I was very upset that at how it was going down. I was also you know again tipping my cap to a lot of it, but it was still like this shouldn't happen in any in any sport. Like this should not be happening with the level of coordination that is happening. And that's why I said we can all laugh at this because we know FIFA's going to come back and be like, "Ha, that sounds great. You guys did a great job. We're going to ding you. We're going to have to we're going to have to take take something away from you." Cuz I mean, even, you know, the El Salvador, they had uh pitch invaders against our game back our game back in September, and they have to had they had to have a uh Close to, they had to have a closed door match uh, next month because of it. So something's coming from this, yeah. but I I do want to get to the ball boys because I think this is the piece that really just set everything in motion. Can well, I ask we, a quick we, question? Who go ahead? I mean, if you guys knew there were no consequences to it, it would have wasted time. Would you have done it? Oh, 100 percent You know, 
No, nah, they would have caught me. For the team. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> for the team. But Jonathan, since you were the one you were watching on TV, how, did you have any sense of all of this shit going on? So we got a few we saw like a couple of the um of the pitch invaders. Didn't see the guy that went scored on Matt Turner. Um <laughs> and then like just from Twitter saw like when we get to the ball boy situation. I was aware of that going on, um, but um, I think we maybe saw maybe two pitch invaders um, and really didn't. St- I don't even remember seeing security um, even grabbing them. It's just more of like it's also just hard to remember because I was just so frustrated. Oh, yeah. Uh, by what was going on. There was definitely like a sense of anger. But like, did you see any instances where like it's like, wait a minute, there are three balls on the field right now. Did that come across on TV at all? No, it didn't. It didn't. Okay. So, Max, you I, want to tell everyone why there were three balls on the field at, at a, Oh yeah. Occasion? So let's three let's break this ball boy. Three. The, no, tell them why there were eleven balls on the field. <laughs> so let's break let's break this ball boy situation into three categories because there's three types of ball boys and like they all played up to perfection. One, they were the ones that uh, threw extra balls out of the field, uh, which is what Eric's asking about. Two. There were ball boys that when a ball went out of bounds, they would actively walk away from the situation to stall everything more. The guy directly in front of this did this and he did it with flair. He gave us like a, like a blue steel style turn, like, and walked away from um, whoever I can't remember. I think it was Christian rolled on was like trying to flag him down for a ball. And he just walked away from it with the ball and then like dropped it like an NBA player does like back to the inbounder after they score. Right. Just kind of like did that. So the ball's just sitting on like the third lap of the track still. Um, And then the third category were the ball boys that pushed themselves all the way across the track back up to the cage. That way there were no extra balls available on the sides on the American side of the pitch where we were attacking. Okay. Like this, this is where, this is where the coordination was unique. Okay. So we've seen where ball boys do this sort of thing, or they're like really loose and, you know, they take the ball and the, Oh, you're on my right. And I throw it to your left. So you can't go the other way or you slow you down. Right. The reason why they were all the way at the back of the track is because in one coordinated motion, all of the ball boys around the track took whatever ball was in their hand and threw it under the stance. So then they casually walked back like, oh, my goodness, the ball is gone. So there was a point where there were no balls present except for the one on the field. The ball went out of bounds. That would have been the only ball that was present that you could actually see. They go and retrieve said balls. Then Panama scores. When Panama scores, they all kick their balls into the stands. So now there's balls in the stands. And so now you have to go, oh, my goodness, can I get the ball back? And you know how people like to hold on to the ball and wave it and celebrate and take pictures with it, whatever they want to do. Then they finally get the balls back. Then as it hit like the 92nd minute, that's when they all decided to kick the balls that they had in their hand onto the field in one fluid. Oh, yeah, they're booting them. They didn't they throw just- them. They kicked them onto the field in one fluid motion. So at a certain point, some people on TV said they saw a couple of, you know, two or three balls on the corners. There was actually literally a point, and you guys remember this. So the thing with Turner kicking the balls off the field, right, is he was kicking like two or three balls like off the field, but he was all the way to the sideline while a ball was coming to him in play by a Panamanian player. So literally this Panamanian player for about three seconds had an empty net to shoot on because 
Matt Turner was so far over to the side trying to get all of these balls out of the way. And then there was a certain point where he came back and there was another ball in front. He didn't know which ball to play. <laughs> like this was this was next level shit here. This was yeah, yeah. No, my favorite was there was a throw in. Panama was like pushing down, going to the corner, trying to kill time. And the ball went out of bounds. And they had a throw in. So, all of a sudden, all the ball boys decide, here's the ball. So there were four balls thrown on the field yeah. for the throw-in. It's like, oh, that. sorry, we, we just wanted to make sure that you had a ball to do this throw-in, all four of us. Look, I like – Matt Turner looks like a man that's probably played World of Warcraft. I'm just going to put that <laughs> on him. And he was given some side quests in that game. <laughs> a lot of them. Oh, man. I mean, as Donald said, I would expect – I would hope FIFA is going to like come back on Panama. I mean, they've got a history of doing this going back to the last cycle, that final game, the time wasting that they went through. They were having administrators like run onto the field in the middle of play, just try to kill clock. Now, mind you, all this was going on and they had added seven minutes of stoppage time and they whistled like seconds before seven minutes of stoppage time. Like it's not, not only they didn't add, it was like a hard stop. For all it, we got six going on, we got six minutes and 57 seconds of extra time when we should have had seven, and we probably played 45 of those seconds. Just like next level CONCACAF shithousery by oh, the, dude, the people and the nation of Panama. Let's shout, shout out the Panamanian bench also, because at one point a ball went out next to them also, and there were several back heels I felt like put on that ball to push it back mm-hmm. onto the track. And then everybody, uh, everybody muscled up like, to, like what's up? Uh, I can't remember who was going after it, um, but you know, someone was running, an American was running after the ball, and like he was just catching shoulders left and right, you know, as he's trying to make his way like to go get this ball, and not a single person's moving to help out. It was, uh, it was impressive. Yeah, yeah. There, I think, no, I think Greg no had to go get throws. that. <laughs> I was going to Greg say, loves no to chase the ball though. Yeah, you got to no get that bounce throws. pass in the bounce yeah. pass. All right. Well, Max, appreciate you coming on to share your experience in Panama. Before we let you go, uh, it's time for another edition of Real Team or Fake Team. Are you familiar with the game? I I am. I am. Okay. For our listeners at home who are just tuning in when they see that Max is on the podcast, this is a little game we play for each country that we focus on. Uh, We're going to give Max a bunch of team names. He has to tell us if he thinks they're a real team or fake team because some of these sound completely made up. So Max is our contestant. I play football manager, but I can't remember the last time I was diving through uh, the Panamanian leagues looking for wonderkids. (laughs) All right. Well, Jonathan and Donald are going to be our presenters today. Um, Who's up first? Uh, I believe it is me. And here we go. Your first team is FC Romel Fernandez. I'm going to go real. That is a fake team. Romel Romel Fernandez is the name of a league. It is the name of a stadium, but it is not the name of a team. All right. So we're going to follow this up with San Francisco FC. I'm going to go real. You are right. That is a real <laughs> team in the top division of the uh, Panamanian League. 
All right. One for one for two. Let's let's go. That's pretty good. So the next one I have here is Suntrax FC. Can you say that one again? Suntrax FC. I'm going to go fake. That is a real team. Uh, Suntrax <laughs> is is a acronym. Uh, they are based in Santiago de Veraguas. It is El Sindicato Unico Nacional de Trabajadores de la Industria de la Construcción y Similares de Panama. It is basically what like Wolfsburg, you know, kind of, you know, workers kind of formed a team. That is Suntrax FC based out of Veraguas. Damn, my type of team and I got it wrong. <laughs> Canal Boys FC. And that is I with a I'll, Z. I'm going to go fake, but I love it. That is a fake team. Yes, that, okay. is, that is a fake team. Yeah. Right. So he's two for four, right? Yeah, two for, two for four. All right. So the next one that I have is Atletico Noriega. I'm going to go real. That is as real as a fake team can be because it's fake. Uh, <laughs> Manuel, Noriega, <laughs> Manuel Noriega is a dictator. And I tried to put that in there because I figured someone would think, oh, maybe he started a team. He did not start a team. I, that's that is what I thought mm-hmm. <laughs> was like the history. You know, it's the history start, there. They started yeah. the team, or they named the team after him out of like you know respect or threat. fear. <laughs> I would say more probably more threat than than yeah. respect. So our final for our final team, Las Margaritas FC. Uh, I'm gonna go fake, but I'm not gonna be surprised if it's real. I guess I, that I, is. I don't know. That is a real team in the third division of the of the Panamanian League, the Copa Romel Fernandez. Love it. Love it. I think, you know, might have bought some shares in it this past weekend. <laughs> yes. And Mojito FC, too. Yeah. yeah. Mojito FC, Rome FC. All right. Well, Max, your performance was not the best we've had uh, it's also not the worst we've had so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about your experiences in panama and i believe i'll be seeing you in a couple weeks oh yeah we'll be uh we'll be in cincinnati everyone bring your, right, if him. you come to cincinnati bring your voices bring your voices be ready to be loud find him at all the ao events find him on the capital stand find him leading the charge for the American fans in Cincinnati. Uh, sorry, I cannot be there with you, but you know I'm with you. You know you're my mans. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Montana 41, that's the jersey I always wear. Anybody, come come over, say what's up. Um, I love love meeting fans from all over the country. And, you know, as someone that also lives in a small town in Montana right now, love meeting fans, you know, that, uh, that like me, you know, you don't have too many people to watch with. Uh, so... Come over, give me uh, give me a dap, give me a shout. All right. Thanks, Max. We'll let you go. Uh, and then after this, we'll be right back with the conclusion of our scoreboard watch, recapping the October World Cup qualifying window. All right. So thank you again to Max for coming on, talking about Panama. Uh, that wraps up our match day five talk. Long-winded, fun stories. Um Panama talk. Uh, Let's go back to scoreboard watch. 
finish up with match day six. Jonathan, what happened in match day six? So match day six. So we started that off with the United States with a 2-1 win over Costa Rica. Uh, Canada picking up a 4-1 win over Panama. Um, Honduras with a um, 2-0 loss at home to Jamaica. Uh, And then finally, El Salvador falling at home uh, two goals to zero against Mexico. Donald, what stuck out to you in these matches? I think, I mean, there's a quite a bit. Obviously, we'll talk about the U.S. match in a second uh, and also Canada, but Honduras losing at home to Jamaica, that is not a, that is a bad loss for if you're Honduras because they want to be in that top three. And if you want to be in the top three, you cannot drop points at home, especially to the team that has been performing the worst. So that is a really, really big loss for Honduras. Yeah, and the key thing for Honduras there, that was actually manager Fabian Coito's final match as manager. Actually, before the match, they announced that it would be his last game. Um, they were bringing in a replacement because uh, clearly qualifying is not going as well as they would have hoped. So Fabian Coito ends his tenure with Honduras with that 0-2 loss at home at the Estadio Olimpico. Um, Jonathan, what other things stuck out to you? I mean... Like I, we'll talk after we kind of talk through all of them. You know where everybody sits in the group, real quick. But I mean, I think seeing the U.S. bounce back from their two-one, I mean, bounce back from their one-zero loss to Panama was pretty big. Uh, it did not start well um, with you know the U.S. conceding within the first minute. Um, but it was good to see um, the U.S. bounce back there, picking up you know six points out of the uh, out of the window. Yeah, things were looking pretty bleak when they're you're coming off a disappointing loss and all of a sudden you're down one Oh in the first minute. Um, that goalkeeper change by Greg Berhalter inserting Zach Steffen for his first qualifying action uh, coming off that Panama loss. And then he gives up a goal in the first minute that didn't look like it was aging well, but hell of a job by the U S recovering that Serginho Dest fucking banger. I, it looked great on TV. Donald, how did it look in the stadium? It looked absolutely fucking fantastic. It was great. It was on the opposite end from me. I will say uh, for, for those of you who were watching on TV, I did not see the first goal because the TIFA was still up uh, and was starting to come down. So I only saw the guy celebrating and I was like, oh, I guess they scored like that sucks. Um, but I will say that the crowd was still back into it. But but Sergio Des, his his laser uh, was incredible. I got to actually watch him do the little do the little shimmy. And then when he did it and took the shot, I knew it was going in because that was how his first goal uh, against Jamaica uh, way back in uh, March, how that one w- transpired. He he hit the cover off the ball. It was terrific. Hell of a strike. Um, and then that, I think Tim Wea deserved credit for that goal. Um, ended up going down as an own goal uh, to Costa Rica. I mean, the other big thing to come out of that game, Keeler Navas, being replaced at halftime. I don't know about you, Jonathan, but as soon as that happened, I'm like, all right, the U.S. is going to win this game. Yeah, no, I mean, we were even having conversations. Like, I don't know. After that first goal went in, it's like, I don't know how we get two past Kaylor Navas. And the fact that then he went uh, went off injured, I think played um, a large large uh, reason for, you know, way I get it, being able to get that shot in um, and that goal going in and, you know, the U.S. bouncing back, because I think if they come out of there with a draw, it's a much different situation um, than um, six points is a whole lot different than than four points. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, Burhalter's job would have to be on the line if they were only getting out of that window with four points or less. I can understand uh, going back to the way a goal. I can understand why it was an old goal. I literally was right on top of that one. Um, in a, I mean, he, again, he hit the he hit the absolute snot off the ball, and it <laughs> hit the post and ricocheted off the back of Morera, and then just had this huge backspin where it was just kind of like like when you kind of uh you'll throw a ball to try and kick it and you kind of spin it to try and see if it hovers on the grass. That's what it was doing. So I start jumping up and down on the capital stand to to kind of wheel it across the line. And sure enough, it finally <laughs> rolled across the line. But if it, if it hovered for another like half a second, I think it was Aronson that was coming through that would have just, yeah. you know, followed through and, and put it in. But the reason why it sucks, it that's one of those own goals that sucks because the only reason it's an own goal is because way hit the snot out of the ball. If he doesn't hit the snot out of the ball, yeah. it doesn't do that ricochet off the goal post thing and, and, and spin into the goal. It would have, you know, been a probably a routine save so i think give credit way for that goal it just sucks that he doesn't get the credit in the score column so big bounce back win for the u.s uh going back to that canada panama game um panama coming off that big 1-0 win they actually jump ahead at bmo field uh on a goal by rolando blackburn uh canada comes back gets four goals canada looking really good to qualify at this point um, so big three points for the Canucks there. Uh, we talked about Honduras, Jamaica, and then the only thing I want to note in the El Salvador, Mexico game, um, El Salvador kept it close, but late for Mexico, uh, Nestor Araujo goes off with a red card. Actually, both teams finished with 10 men. Nestor Araujo, Mexico's starting number one center back out for the next game, which happens to be Mexico at USA. Uh, so Really, they got the three points, but it's costly three points for the Mexicans. Jonathan, do you just want to recap where we're sitting after six match days? Yeah, so coming out of there, so Mexico in first with 14 points, United States in second at 11 points, Canada in third in the final automatic qualification spot with 10, Um, Panama in fourth with eight, Costa Rica in fifth uh, with six points, Jamaica ahead of El Salvador um, on goal difference with both with five points each. And then finally Honduras uh, only on three points. So things still tight. A lot of teams still in it. Um, But November is going to be make or break. Uh, We will be back next week or the week after we will have a preview podcast for the November window. Uh, We want to keep this short list week make sure that we recapped all of the happenings and talk to you about Panama as much as we could. Um, Donald, you want to tell everyone where people can find you? Yeah. At blazing DW on Twitter or Instagram. And you can follow me uh, on, at stars and stripes, FC.com or at stars stripes, FC on Twitter. Yeah. And then you can find me on Twitter at J slape SSP um, or at speedway soccer and broadway sportsmedia.com. Uh, and of course, you can find us, the podcast, at podcacaf, P O D cacaf, on all your social medias, your Twitters, your Facebooks, your Instagrams. Make sure you are following us on Spotify, uh, 
subscribing on iTunes, rating and reviewing us. Make sure that everyone knows that this is a place to go for great CONCACAF talk. I uh, want to thank Max Crows for coming on and talking about all the shenanigans down in Panama. And appreciate you listening. And we'll be back again with you soon.